0: One of the things that I wanted to mention here before we read the scripture is that I want to remind us that what I hold in my hands, this is the most powerful book in all the world. This book is literally, watch friends, watch, it's literally God breathed, it is it's the divine exhalings of Almighty God, the divine exhalings of Almighty God. So therefore, as we gather on Sunday mornings, this is what we're going to be about, this is what we're going to do. Not about me, not about my opinions, what about what I think. It's this. We open the Scripture here, and what we do is we have a reasoned approach to explaining the Scripture, because it is the very breath of God, and it has a divine power to change people's lives. Only this can change people's lives that way. And so every week, you can count on, we'll open the Scripture, the most powerful book in the world, and we read it, we explain it, and we apply it. And as long as I have breath, that's what we'll do. That's how we roll Well, it'll be long after I have breath, too, because that's how we roll here. That's who we are, uh, because we have the living and breathing Word of God that transforms our lives. So if you are able, we're going to stand to our feet. Yeah, if you're able, stand to your feet. We're going to read Joshua chapter 1, beginning in verse 10, reading through verse 18. So we're going to trade off. I'll read a verse, and then you'll read a verse. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel... Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh, and he told them, Your wives and children and livestock may remain here in the land Moses assigned to you on the east side of the Jordan River. But your strong warriors, fully armed, must lead the other tribes across the Jordan to help them conquer their territory, stay with them. They answered Joshua, We'll do whatever you command us. And we will go wherever you send us. Anyone who rebels against your orders, does not do, obey your words, and everything you command will be put to death. Be strong and courageous. You may be seated. And Father, what an awesome experience to fill the the house of God with the word of God. And Lord, uh, as we turn to your word, we pray that you would bless it. We pray that you'd speak to us. We pray that you'd nourish us. Feed us, build us up, fire us up. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would equip us for every good work that you've called us to. We pray that you teach us uh, things that we would be glad for in eternity, that we'd be transformed as we grow in the grace and knowledge of God's word. And may we leave here knowing that Jesus is awesome. And everyone agreed saying. Yes. The title of the message this morning is How to Make Your Life Count. How to make your life count. Does anybody in the house, watching online, want to have your life count, or do you want to waste your life? How many people you want to make their lives count? Yeah, well, you want to make your life count. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at four points, or four principles, from Joshua chapter 1, about how to make your life count. If you're new to church, you can see how God would shape you to make your life count if you were a Christ follower. To Joshua, then, the backstory is this. One of the greatest generals ever to breathe. Uh, Against incredible odds, incredible opposition, he accomplished incredible things in conquering the land. Joshua, uh, uh, his life was always engaged in some kind of battle. For 20 years, he's always battling. From the book of Exodus here all the way to Joshua, you're reading about him in battles. So Joshua's life was like that, and you may identify with that, but you feel like, you know, I I feel like that. Sometimes, actually, I feel like that. Personally, like there's always some battle that I'm facing. So the background of Joshua chapter 1 is God's people, the Israelites, they're on the verge of crossing over the Jordan River into the Promised Land. They've been wandering for 40 years, 40 years in the desert, wilderness, and now they're ready to cross over into the Jordan, to the promised land, and they're going to possess the land. So the Israelites then are at this key, pivotal turning point in their history. The final hurdle is before them, crossing the Jordan. The promised promised land, the promise of a better life in Canaan is before them. It was taking hold of what God had ordained for them. So the stage is set for Joshua to give the marching orders, to give the instructions to the former Egyptian slaves to now possess the land. So at this point, Moses has died. The baton has been passed to Joshua, who's now going to guide the people into their inheritance, the promised land of Canaan. God encourages Joshua over and over again, three times, to let it sink in. Because God told him one time, and God knows it's not sinking in, I've got to tell him again, be strong and of courage. Repeats himself, which tells us that Joshua is feeling overwhelmed. He was feeling despondent, discouraged, depressed. Joshua was not in a good space. So God is encouraging him. Now watch, because God understands how you and I are facing situations where we're in the same space, where you feel overwhelmed. You feel ill equipped. You feel unprepared. You feel scared to death, knees knocking, thinking, how in the world did I get myself into this mess? God knows what he needs to say to Joshua. God knows what he needs to say to you. Trust me, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Be courageous. Be strong. Hey, I'll take care of you. I've got this. I will always be who I am to you. I will always be God to you. So, verse four, we read, I'm sorry, verse two, we read. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, why would God state the obvious when 30 days ago, Joshua knew that Moses was dead? So he, he states the absolute obvious and says, the time has come for you to lead these people, the Israelites, across the Jordan River into a land I'm giving them. So point number one, if you're taking notes, is this. Let go of the past if you want to make your life count. Number one, you want to make your life count, you have to let go of the past. Now, Joshua and Moses are very close. How close can you be when for 40 years you are being his assistant, his apprentice there? And then you get the crushing news that the towering, greatest of all time, Moses, is now dead. And it's time to move on. Moses, the great leader. But Moses was the leader of yesterday. The baton of leadership then has been transferred to Joshua. Joshua had to let go of yesterday to embrace his new calling, his new assignment from God. Think about it. If he is is just wrapped up in what has happened to Moses, how is he going to then take upon the immense responsibility to lead 2 million Jews, former slaves, out of Egypt and into the promised land? So Joshua had to let go of the past to embrace God's promise. I think sometimes we need to do exactly the same thing. How many people here, you are living to measures in the past? There's the weight of past memories, past relationships, that can keep us and undermine from receiving the fullness of God's promise. It could be a death. It could be drama in the family. It could be a divorce. I think it could be in your thought life. It could be where you're having thoughts on a regular basis, cross your mind, and they end up holding you back, and you can be in bondage to your thought life. How many people, maybe it's worry, where so much mental and emotional energy is wasted, worrying and consumed about things you can really not fix uh, by worrying. So, so many people, you have issues in your life, like Joshua here, hanging on to the past, that can undermine your moving forward. Here's the bottom line. You will never possess your future as long as you're consumed perpetuating your past. So you must learn, as Joshua did, God says, after 30 days, Moses, my servant, is dead. Close the door on the past so you can look forward to your future. So my question is, is there anything that you need to let go of? Is there anything you need to let go of in your past there? Now, we should appreciate the good things, uh, we should learn from the bad things, learn from yesterday, but you can't live there. And so one of the problems with God's people in history, in the scriptures, is that all through their journey, what were they doing? They were doing this very same thing. They were looking back at Egypt. So the children of Israel, they're, oh yeah, the, the leeks and the garlic, it was so Amazing. The manna, yeah, you're complaining your guts out, but uh, but you keep going back to living in yesterday, a land of bondage and slavery. And remember, friends, the Bible says in First Corinthians that these things, the Old Testament, was written those stories, those examples for us, so that we could learn from them, which hopefully we're going to do this morning. So God says, hey, Joshua, Moses isn't here anymore, but you've got to keep going. You can't be stuck in the past, verse 2 again. The time has come, watch, everybody look, everybody look. The time has come for you, personally, you, Joshua, to lead these people. It's a new day for you. The great leader is gone. And not only do you need to let go of the past, but watch there, you listen for God's plan. You try to hear the voice of God, listening for God's plan. Always, but especially in times of transition. So God says to Joshua, there it is in front of you. Hey, it's go time. It's time now to lead. We've got work to do. Yeah, Moses my servant that's dead, but you, Joshua, you get up and go. So watch, friends. Joshua has total clarity on what he needs to do. That is such a key if you want your life to count for something, is to get clarity on God's plan. God said, We're going to cross over the Jordan to the land which I'm giving you. Now, God tells him to seize what has already been given. The promised land has been given to you. You simply have to go and seize it, get it, take it. Because what is promised doesn't necessarily make it a reality. Just because the land is promised doesn't mean you're going to possess the land. The problem was not one of possession. The problem was one of fully embracing the provision. So God's promises, watch. They're guaranteed, but they are not automatic. For example, how many people know, especially you adults, you can pay for your student's education, but that doesn't mean that they're going to get one. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I've known so many people that after $200,000, they're working at Trader Joe's. Not a bad place to work, but their parents didn't spend $200,000 for them to work at Trader Joe's. So, uh, the, so just that you go to school doesn't mean that you're going to get an education. Oh, can you do better than that? Yeah, I can do better than that. So Matthew 6, 26, Jesus says to them, that God feeds the birds of the air. but When's the last time you saw a bird sitting in a tree with its mouth wide open, waiting for worms to fall from heaven? Come on, somebody. No, you, you, you never see that. Hey, but God provides the worms. But the, but the, but the birds, watch. They got to battle. They got to battle the elements. They got to go after the worms. They got to dig them up. And it's going to cost them something. Though God provides the worms, they still have to go after them and seize them and take them. Are you catching my drift? Okay, so there's God's watch. There's God's sovereign provision, and then there's human responsibility. So God said to the children of Israel, watch, friends, every place that the sole of your foot shall what? Shall tread, shall tread, I'm giving to you. But you got to get out of your lazy boys. If you're sitting in your lazy boy, bound in Egypt, your feet will never tread on the new nation. He said, I'll give it to you, but you got to walk there so it can be yours. God gives, but we must take. So God says, I've given it, but you have to go and get it. So be aware of this, because there's two extremes. Some of you may lean toward one extreme or the other. Some of you are going to trust God. Maybe you're not going to really do anything. Others of you, you're going to say, I'm going to go and trust God, and it's all on me. And I'm going to work, and work is the only thing that I know how to do, and I'm going to make it happen. Well, but you got to trust God also. So don't lean to one extreme or the other. It's both. I'm looking to heaven. I'm asking God, but I'm also ready and willing to step out to work, to do whatever I need to do. So God will ask us to pray, but he also wants us to do. James said, you say that you have faith. He says, show me your faith by your works. Put your mouth where your money is there. And so verse 5 says, look at the promise. No man shall be, able to tr- shall be able to stand against you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. So to make your life count, what do you need to do? You have to let go of the? Secondly, you have to listen for God's plan. Good, some of you. And so thirdly, thirdly, you have to lock into, lock into God's promises. Okay, so he said, I never leave you or forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I will never cease being your God. So you don't want to, you want to hear these words, don't you? So remember Joshua. Joshua was discouraged and despondent, following in the greatest of all time. He's thinking about Joshua uh, entering the promised land. There were seven nations that were stronger, more equipped than them. That They were going to have to do fierce battle against. There was going to be opposition. They had the walled city of Jericho. I mean, it was not going to be easy. So he's intimidated by the whole thing. And then God comes to him and keeps saying, be strong and be very courageous. Joseph needed to hear these words. So why does God tell him that? Because God knew that in order to enter a new normal, the nation of Israel would have to be people of courage. they would have to be people of courage. In order for them to be people of courage, they also knew that their leader had to be a leader of courage. So over and over again, God's called to Joshua to be strong and courageous, which tells us that he didn't necessarily feel up to the task. He was not up to the task. And so many times I think this is what happens with us, in that God sets his hand upon you. God stirs something in your heart. God makes something real that you're to do. And then something in our life happens. And what happens is we don't feel like Joshua that we are quite up to the task. So God does tell Joshua to be strong and courageous because of all those things that I mentioned, the resistance, the enemies of God, all of that. And there will be, friends, resistance when you step out and you trust God. So these words are very applicable for us today, be strong and courageous. And so we're to focus on God as was Joshua not people. Moses, my servant is dead. Get your eyes upon me, Joshua. Keep going. In spite of the resistance and in addition to the opposition, there's an enemy that wants to keep you from what God has for you. So for Joshua, it would require, and for us oftentimes that we would receive encouragement to rise up. And so it requires a response really of courageous faith where we not only believe it, but we, because God said it, but we step out and do it. And friends, if ever there was a day where our world needed courageous Christ followers like it's today, come on, somebody, it is like today. Courage is needed to walk with Christ today. And so you think about uh, our, this, the systematic de Christianizing of America, the relentless and systematic de of America, and it will continue. There's never been a greater time where Christ followers need to have courage, where God stirs, drops courage in our hearts, makes us a courageous people. So let's look at this passage here, how to make your life count. What do we say? Let go of the past, right? Number two, we talked about listen to God's plan, and then we talked about locking in to God's promises. How many people are enjoying this this morning? Come on, somebody. Thank you. I was going to give myself an amen if you didn't. So, <laughs> so number four is this. You want, to, you want your life to count? Do what God says. You want your life to count? Do what God says in your life to count. See, the Christian life is as simple as hear God's voice. That's what Joshua did. Heard God's voice, go possess the land, hear God's voice, then do what he says. Therein is the Christian life, right there. It's not complicated. Hear God's voice through his word, the still small voice, and do what he says. And so this is what Joshua did. The word then, when he says Joshua then, watch, watch, go to Joshua then. Everybody look, everybody look. Joshua then commanded the officers of Israel, or or his, his leaders of Israel, Then, then what? Then after verses 1 through 9. After three times, then, after God had encouraged him, be strong and of good courage. Be strong and and of good courage. Be strong and of good courage. Then God, then he commanded. So watch what happens here. Watch what happens. So he recognizes that he's able to do it because of what God has said to him then you can turn around, Joshua. Then you can command the troops. See what see the dynamic that happened there? Because he recognizes I'm not like Moses. I feel weak and overwhelmed. I'm intimidated. This is beyond me. It's a bigger challenge than I can do. And I'm discouraged. And then come the encouraging words. I will be with you. Remarkable friends, the God would be the God Yahweh would be like with single individual human beings, unheard of before before Yahweh came on the scene there uh, to the children of Israel. I will be with you. I promise not to forsake you. I will never cease from being your God. You can do it. You can do it. You can do it. How transformative was that? That was transformative for him because then he commanded the army. He couldn't do it before that. It was then. And so now the military command comes. Joshua is renewed. Joshua's confidence now is renewed and so now he can confidently approach the officers, the leaders of Israel, and gives them marching orders. Then he can say, the time has come. Three days you be prepared. Get ready to roll. Get your supplies ready. So verse 11, go or pass through the camp. And tell the people to get all the provisions ready. In three days, you're going to cross the Jordan River and take possession of the land. Watch again. This is repeated over and over. The Lord your God has given you Three days from now, you're going to cross over. God said, Joshua, I've got a tremendous future ahead of you. I have great things for you to do. Everywhere the foot of your soul shall land, I'm giving you. But this is going to be a blessing, and it is going to be a battle. And he says, you must take possession of what I give you. What will the future hold? Oh, we love the blessings of God. I love the blessings of God. But it will be a mixture of of blessings and battles. Again, friends, this is a picture of the Christian life. It is a mixture of blessings and battles. And sometimes we just want to lean in and soak up all of the blessings and forget that this was written for us, an example to us about the Christian life. So Joshua then commands the leaders to secure the food, and he recognizes that the land is a gift from God. By the way, I want to interject here that God also has given us land, which is a gift from God. It's about a mile and a half from here over on Wildwood Canyon Drive, 20,000 square foot fixer upper, five acres of land, 400 yards off the freeway. We've been praying for that for years where there's going to be a couple thousand homes, parks, retail centers, and a freeway off ramp. Only God can do that for $600,000, it's already doubled in price. That's God, friends. You see, God still gives people the land. But watch, watch. We're going to have to, and I'll be talking about it, we're going to have to go possess the land. Even though it's been given, you still have to possess it, and there's a cost to it. And so on a daily basis, we're to take hold of the promises of God. Theirs was the promised land. Ours is the promises of of God, and to walk them out. You say, well, what, what do those look like? I'm going to give you just a few here. So, uh, just a few. It's not an exhaustive list. But there's a promise of God's blessing, right? Psalm 1, verse 1. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the seat of sinners, nor sits in the way of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted in the rivers of water. His leaf also shall not wither. talks about the conditions of being blessed. The promise of God is His blessing. The promise of God's peace. Isaiah 26, thou shalt keep Him in perfect peace, whose mind is what? Stayed on you. The promise of the forgiveness of sins, 1 John 4. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Not only that, cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The promise of God's rest. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will do what only I can do. I will give you rest. The promise of intimacy with God, James 4.8. Draw near to God. And what will God do? God will draw near to you, but it says you've got to draw near first. Draw near to God and God will draw near to you. The promise of his intimacy. The promise of Christ's return. Where Matthew 24, because you don't know the day or the hour of the Lord's return. There's a zillion verses on that. The promise of God's empowering grace. For by grace that you're saved, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's a pretty cool promise, friends. The promise of God's provision, where it says, God is able to bless you so that in all things and all times, you can have everything that you need. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or think. You will abound in every good work. The, the promise of God's strength, Isaiah forty thirty one. The Lord shall renew your strength. You'll mount up with wings like eagles. You'll walk and not become tired. You'll run and not become weary. The promise of God's strength. Friends, the promises of God, the promises of his presence. I will never leave you or forsake you. The promise of God's wisdom. If anyone lacks wisdom, James says, let him ask of God who gives you everyone freely and he will not withhold wisdom from you. That's that's how God rolls there. The promise to meet your needs. My God shall supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The promise that all things work together for the good, and all things work together for the good to those that love God and are called according to His purpose. The promise of the power of darkness, for we battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, and spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, Romans 16:20 says, and the God of peace will soon Crush Satan underneath your feet. Friends, we had all kinds of great promises, and that's just a few of them. So the promise to them was to take possession of the land. Now it's springtime, the Jordan River is rising. God's timing is always perfect. Didn't look like that, but you have to trust God because it seemed like the worst time. It was dangerous. Verse 12, Then Joshua called together the tribes of Reuben Gad, in Manasseh. Now, I'm going to unpack this, but I want you to see something here. Here's three tribes, and what they do is, well, half the tribe of Manasseh, and what they do is they're like, we don't want to go into the promised land. We want to stay on the other side of the river because like we like it here. It's good farming, fertile ground. So we want to stay here. So they kind of, Moses and them kind of brokered a, a deal. And so now when it's time to go over what happened? Well, they weren't there. They couldn't go into the promised land because the Amalekites, when well, they invaded, they took them captive, and they never went into the land. So this is significant here because there is a Jordan River. Okay, They're the promises of God. Some of the people didn't go into the land. Could it be that in Christian life, there are people that have the promises of God, but they don't actually experience those because of the uh, the decisions that they make. And so remember verse 13, what Moses, a servant of the Lord, commanded you, the Lord your God is giving you a place of rest. Again, he's giving you the land. So the land meant where Joshua was standing right then. They still had to cross over. So you had the tribes who were separated again there. They liked the land, but there would be problems with that land, awful problems. So geographically, they were not supposed to be where they needed to be. I think there's a little message in there for some people that geographically, they can reach a space where they're not where they need to be with God's people in community on the wrong side of the Jordan River. And I think that we're capable of doing this, where we can get geographically physically removed from worship. And I'm not talking about, you know, COVID or you sick. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about an attitude where like, you yeah, know, I just think like, this is where I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in this space. Well, that's not the space of God's blessing. And so then it says here that we have this place of rest. They had a physical place of rest, but ours is a spiritual place. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll do what? I'll give you. I'll give you rest. Yeah. Uh, Hebrews, the author of Hebrews said, there remains a rest, Hebrews 4.9, there remains a rest for the people of God. Augustine said this, that's the beautiful how he said it. You have made us for yourself and our hearts will only rest until they find their rest in you. is that beautiful? It's true of us. We'll only find rest when we find our rest in him. Think about your life before knowing Christ. The emptiness, the darkness, the, the relentless, the restlessness, the agitation, the pain, the drama, all the stuff there. Jesus says, I will give you peace. Isaiah 26, thou shalt keep him in perfect peace. Rest. And so God promised rest to God's people. Rest from what? Well, a rest from war a rest where they could live in peace, a rest where they could have productive lives, a rest where they could have secure borders, where the enemy couldn't harass them and trouble them and constantly declare war upon them. This was their rest in their land. The Bible speaks again of us having a spiritual rest. Those things were written as an example for us. And so verse 14, your wives, your children, livestock, going to remain here. He says, but your strong warriors, fully armed. They're going to go. So what happened here is that some of the tribes that requested to stay in the east, uh, then to raise their livestock, they're supposed to go, but they never had the opportunity actually to go. And there was a terrifying consequence of the choice that they made of these tribes because they were captured by the Assyrians when they invaded Israel. They were taken captive. Sometimes we can see things and think it's such a good idea. They were taken captive, and they went to def- down in defeat. They went into bondage, and they were on the wrong side. And they never saw the promised land. So I want to ask you this. Figuratively speaking, what side of the Jordan are you on? Where do you land in this journey? Verse 15, until the Lord gives them rest... As he's given you rest until they too possess the land. There's the assignment. The Lord your God is giving them, and only then will they return and settle. And so God's people were commanded to possess the land again already. It's repeated over and over again to possess the land that is given to you. Joshua, let's listen. They answered Joshua don't, don't punch out on me because I'm almost done. I know you've been going a little while. Don't punch out on me, because what I'm going to say is important. This is important. So keep, keep your focus. They answered Joshua, we will do, watch, whatever you command us, and we will go wherever you send us. We'll obey you as we obeyed Moses, and may the Lord God be with you as he was with Moses. What are they doing there? They're affirming the leader. Hey, we'll go with you anywhere you go. We're with you. We're behind you. We're following you. We trust you as our leader. We're affirming your ability to lead and our trust in you. How encouraging to Joshua as the people affirm their support and say all of those wonderful things. The point is this. It's an affirming culture right there. That's a, that's a culture of affirmation. Some people say, oh, you know, uh, uh, certain people are affirming. Well, Of course. How could you not be affirming when it's throughout the Scripture? When the Bible says, "the Bible says, uh, encourage one another daily, daily." While it's called today, affirm one another, Irwin. I'm going to affirm you right there, Irwin Ocasio. I'm going to affirm. So I've never done this like this, but I'm going to affirm Irwin. So Irwin, I want to affirm you. So I'm going to show you how to do it. This is extemporaneous. This is not planned. It's not in my notes, I'm going to turn. This is how easy it is. You see somebody, you just tell them, I'm going to affirm you. You tell your kids. How many people are affirming their kids? is hearing what they do wrong all the time. Do you affirm them? You've got to start affirming your kids. Have, have affirmation birthdays. Get all the friends around, the parents, the grandparents. You affirm them. You build a culture of affirmation. The church is to have a culture of affirmation. Here it is right here. So, Irwin, I want to affirm you. I want to affirm that you're in a man who, in whom there is no guile. There's no deceit in you. I want to affirm you that you are a man of integrity. I want to affirm you that you have a heart for God and a heart for God's people, and you love God's church. I want to affirm you that you're you're delightful to know. You're delightful to know. You're a genuine, authentic, real friend. You're a special man. I want to affirm that God's got his hand upon you. I want to affirm, Erwin, that you're generous and you're giving, you're generous with your time, with your talents, with your treasure. I want to affirm that you love the community in which God has placed you. I could see how easy that is. I could go on and on and on. But after the first service, I got feedback. Rod, could you kind of cut it down a little bit? Now it's <laughs> a little too much. So, so I, I'm stopping there. The point is, you can affirm. You can affirm. Verse 18 and anyone who rebels against your orders and does not obey your words in everything you command, it's not going to go well with them. So be strong and courageous. So Joshua, getting some affirmation, getting some encouragement from the people, and they are moved. The people are moved to affirm him, to exhort him, to encourage him, to echo back to him what God said about him, to be strong and courageous. And these people then, they have a heart to enter the promised land, don't they? So you want to make your life count? What do we talk about? Number one, let go of the Say it together. Let go of the past. Okay. Number two, listen for God's plan. Again, listen for God's plan. Lock on to God's And thirdly, do what he says. Yeah. Do what God says. So there it is you do those things, you build those things into your life, you will have a life that counts for something that will count in eternity. Joshua did. And there's all the principles for us to do. You want to build those into your life? You've got them right there. You have no excuse to have a life that counts. Let's stand to our feet. Father, thank you for your word, which is a light unto our path, and a light, a lamp unto our feet. We pray that you would bless it. Uh, as we, uh, as we process it and think about it in its application for us this week. Thank you that it doesn't return void, but accomplishes the purpose whereunto it's sent. We thank you for your God-breathed, amazing word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.